Welcome to Talk Time with Max Contact, the podcast where we talk about the latest contact center and customer experience, industry news, and insights. Join us as we welcome industry experts, discuss actionable strategies you can apply to your business, and help professionals like you on your path to long-term career progression and success. I'm your host, Sean McIver. Welcome to another episode of Talk Time with Max Contact. I'm your host, Sean McIver. For this episode, we welcome customer experience leader, Laura Montgomery. Laura is currently heading the customer experience at Mount Anvil and has over 10 years experience in the residential sales industry. Now, part of the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors, Laura has established herself as a leading customer services professional within the housing market. Not only that, a two-time marathon runner, a recent university graduate, Laura brings a huge wealth of experience to the conversation today. Have I missed anything there, Laura? That was quite a list. Well, I know you're all good for now. Now featuring in a podcast. <laughs> hey, excellent. So let's start off with your journey into the world of customer services, how you found yourself specifically doing customer services and then ending up in the residential sales industry. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I think I've been kind to myself to say it was 10 years ago for Resi because I I coughed to somebody the other day that it's close to about 25 years of working with customers. So it's probably like most people, I think, started in retail straight out of school, did that. And then I was in retail for probably about seven or eight years, just working for high street brands, kind of worked out that there was a bit more to life than just plodding along, went into the motor industry, that I worked for Audi, I worked for Mercedes, I worked for Honda, and Audi was a really good starter for 10 for getting in and really believing about customer service. You know, you have to be accredited as a service advisor. They really believe in training their staff. So I was really lucky to be exposed with them to just every type of customer scenario. So I was there for about seven or eight years, learned an amazing amount about people, amazing amount about customers, you know, strategy, understanding what makes people tick. And then got introduced to the world of housing and construction and developing, came from, (laughs) I was so naive. I came from this tiny little like Essex village where I'd never stepped foot on a train apart from like an adventure up to the city to suddenly coming up to London every single day and kind of changing where, making homes for people and changing places that were car parks or industrial estates into people's homes and developments. But That kind of love for serving a decent customer service has been there for a really long time. I've I've known one of my customers for a really long time. He said, if you can deal with me, you can deal with anybody. And I think that's a pretty good credit. And uh, yeah, I kind of end up where I am now. Yeah, similar journey. There's both emotional purchases, cars and homes, the most emotional things people will ever buy and invest in. We need them. We need them every day. We want them to be shiny and new so yeah it was kind of weird sidestep but very very similar ilk so yeah it's been really good it's been fab seeing as you brought it up i'm going to jump ahead and ask one of the questions i had lined up i'm going to ask it now so we're going to move around a little bit but you've just talked buying a house moving house property in general and to a lesser degree buying a car considered to be among kind of the most stressful life events people go through It's clear that it's crucial for businesses to understand their customer's journey comprehensively end-to-end. Why is it so critical in the broader industry, do you think? 
But I think there's a couple of things that kind of make it critical. There's a few trains of thought that you can go on down there. If you can knock out the best experience that a customer can have that makes them like a full brand advocate, we have to be able to understand how to do that. So seeing the touch points across that journey, getting where somebody you perceive that somebody's really been told something and actually they haven't, we've totally missed the mark on it. You kind of got to keep going over and over and over that journey, making sure that you can really put yourselves in their shoes. Like, what does it look like from the other side of the fence? Does that translate how we think it does when you're just the average customer looking at new products or researching it or understanding what they might get out of us? So, yeah, if we don't understand it, we can't see that we're meeting or exceeding our customers' needs. So we just, we won't get there on that. Matt Anvil, we are, we like a bit of feedback. We really thrive on that. And actually we kind of see stuff that doesn't go wrong, the stuff that goes wrong as a strength. So when we get it wrong, it's how we make it right. So by really understanding what our customer's journey looks like, it, it means that we can see the flaws and weaknesses in it. And actually we can pivot on it a bit quicker. We can change that thing that isn't quite right when you get to us or when you speak to one of our our members of team whether it's sales or customer experience or customer service further down the line so we can kind of swoop in and, and fix that by understanding the journey better and then this isn't for every customer in facing industry I think but actually for us it's a really big risk we're talking we're selling properties from I know, 400,000 up to a million pounds. So if we don't understand our customer journey and we aren't supportive of that as a risk to our business, that's a big deal. If we've missed something with a customer that is risk dependent, that they will complete or they won't, that's us letting ourselves down. So if we we don't understand that, if we do, it reduces the risk. If it doesn't, we it steps up and we don't need to do that. <laughs> we want to understand it and know what they're seeing and what they're doing. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Again, let's. I'm going to unpack this a little bit further. Yeah, so let's take it as a two-parter. Let's take it back to basics for listeners. And can you just explain what you mean by the term customer journey? Yeah, so the customer journey for us, it's that end-to-end support. So how does it look when they start interacting with us as a brand and they start considering to buy with us? And how does that look at the end when, you know, what's all the stuff in the middle? And then what does it look like at the end from a services and support outlet from a customer service side? So when you're actually living in the property. So it is, they're buying, they're investing in our product, but it is that end-to-end support system that we can give them as the developer that they're purchasing from to make sure that they get the most out of, of the process of the house building process, joining up those dots, we can often think it's quite easy. Like a majority of people have purchased a home or at least considered purchasing a home, looking into a mortgage or researching the area that they might want to buy in or even dreaming on right move. But you still get that that's a process. It's stressful, right? It's stressful. (laughs) It's not easy. Our journeys take a really long time. They can take up to three years. So our meaning of a journey isn't necessarily a simple transaction of choosing if we're going to get the new iPhone and working out if we can pay however much it is for it. Our old customer journey is far greater than that. It's far longer. So we've got to join up those dots. We've got to make sure that that goes all the way through that full buying process, whether that's six weeks 
all, all three or four years. So yeah, it's yeah, it's an emotional roller coaster for them for all the right reasons because they're with us, of course. <laughs> Naturally, of course, <laughs> of course. Let me dig one layer further into that because we that, that what you just described in terms of a customer journey resonates with me. It's before they actually become a customer through to the beyond after that, you know, creating that really resonating, resolving those bottlenecks and challenges. Having spoken to as many people as I have, one of the things that that always occurs to me is, so for example, I work in a company that's a small to medium-sized business, and I see the inside out of that company. And it can be difficult to extract yourself from the depths of processes you know and understand, and generally business BAU. How do you do that and really stand in the customer's shoes and see things from their perspective? How do you do that? I'm a bit of a pain. That's how I do it. So we're really lucky that we have loads of teams. Like, it's like team when I get there, like, oh gosh. You have to kind of, you change your shoes, right? You turn around and ask you the questions. You know the customer feedback and actually you know what you would want as a product. You know like when we go to our sites, when we're ramping up for completions to take place, you walk the journey and you kind of sidestep that you're not an employee anymore. You're looking at it from a different perspective. Like, how does that look? What is that? What's the first reaction that I have if I was the person that was investing here or purchasing with this developer? So you kind of have to turn yourself around a bit and go, why does that look like that? What's that journey down from the station like? Is it safe? Do I feel safe standing here at five o'clock in the evening? The light's coming on. How easy is it for me to get into my home? And then really push that back on the site team or back on the dev team to say, just think for a second. So it's really stepping back, kind of the benefit of being in the industry for 10 years and kind of working your way around London which I'm crazy proud of, standing back and looking at developments that you know what the apartment on the eighth floor looks like. It is that, that you have to stop and go, how would I feel if I was buying here? How would I feel if this was me? And kind of disconnect a second from your business brain and just just put your gut feel into how am I reacting to this? What does it look like? How am I perceiving this? And it's not 100% foolproof. I can tell you that much to nothing. But it's, yeah, you make yourself the customer for a minute, that's for sure. Excellent. No, I, I love that. And it's clear as you were talking about it and you mentioned the standing there at 5 p.m. in the evening outside a property, how do you feel and the light, is it sufficiently lit? And it's things that as you were saying them, I was thinking internally, oh, of course. But until you said them, I probably wouldn't even have thought of it. And it's those surrounding bits that are so easy to miss I think that's a prime example of why you need to, if you can, that's why you have to stand in the customer's shoes. Yeah, 100%. It's not all about, we have, our journeys are two-tone, right? Our journeys are what we, the service that we deliver, but actually they're the customer journeys that they have once they're in their homes and in their properties. And what does that look like? That's not just front door in, that's a far longer journey than we necessarily give it credit for when you're just looking, standing, looking up at a building. It's a bit more open than that. Yeah, Absolutely. We're going to kind of slightly switch gears now. So I'm going to put a scenario to you. Oh, come on. I'm going to change hats. <laughs> what are we going, like cap to bubble hat? Where are we going with this? This is a full on top hat. Full on top <laughs> hat. 
I'm a C-level member of a small to medium business, and I'm initiating a journey to deliver data-driven customer experience strategies within my business, whatever business that may be. What would you say are some of the most common pitfalls or misconceptions that you would warn me about on a kind of a one-to-one basis if we were having a conversation over a glass of wine in a bar somewhere? What, do you want to use data? You want to kind of start punching it into the business? Yeah. Common misconceptions about data. Don't lose your gut feel on something. You can, data is amazing, right? You can go in on it. You can get some amazing statistics from it. You can use it to build a business. You can use it to eliminate something from what you're doing in any customer journey or any point in a business. But sometimes the fact versus the gut feel Your intuition is there for a reason. And I think it's to not get lost in the data. And especially when it comes to customers, if that gut instinct is just, there's something that's holding me back from following that data path, talk about it and work out why first, because there's a chance you know you'll find that reason out quite quickly because your gut's telling you that. So I would never have professed, if if you'd spoken to me even five or six years ago, I'd never have professed to loving data quite as much as I do now. But time before data, without data, we would have trusted that instinct in a different way. And I, I think that's probably the biggest piece of advice that I would give is follow it. But if there's something that makes you stop and double check it, there's a reason why. That's amazing. I wonder... And this is, we haven't kind of planned for this, so I appreciate this is out of nowhere. Can you give me, so the world you work in is very kind of specifically around the data and what it's informing you and aligning that with those instincts. Can you give me a walkthrough of a kind of a real world example or something along those lines where customer data has led to some kind of actionable change and improvement in the service or delivery of that service? Yeah, um, qualities. And this is, I'm sorry, I've worked with sort of strawful businesses over the time in this industry. And actually the the analogy goes back to the, the car, right? When you pick up your new car, you really expect it to be perfect, you know? And actually to a certain extent, even with a secondhand car, it's, it's new to you. Not as much with the first business that I worked in, but secondly, certainly in the second one, there was, we were handing over properties that, and they were to first-time buyers, a lot of them were on the help-to-buy scheme. We were handing over properties where there was still a reasonable amount of snagging or defects or items outstanding. So it wasn't like, I have a really cheesy line that it's like the Mary Poppins of apartments. It's practically perfect in every way, right? And we just weren't nailing that we weren't getting to that level and and everybody understands there's a few bits right it's effectively it's a man-made product it's a it could be a one-bed flat or it could be a three-bed home so most people were on the side of understanding but also on the instagram versus reality expectation they were two different things so we flipped and we looked at what was quality that we were delivering and we really dove in on what were the statistics that we were pulling out? Because I was like, I feel like if we're going to get the customers happy, they need to be seen as close to perfect as we can provide. And if it's not, have a reason as to why. Like if they were walking in and they were seeing that, I know there was a scratch on the wall. Why was that scratch there? And how quick could we fix it for them? 
pulled a load of the data and actually it totally transferred that there was. There was a direct correlation that when the quality was good and the scores were low on defects, to say it was zero to three, people were promoter of the business. If they were five, six, seven, eight, ten items, they'd be passive or detractor. Flip that to here, exactly the same thing. When we looked at statistics, the correlation almost ran in sync. So we did a massive focus. We totally changed the way that we worked with build teams. We did an inspection before we would get the keys, hand it straight over to the customer. We stepped back. We now do a 10-minute check. We go in, we look through the eyes of the customer. What were they going to see? What do we know they might pick up on? And we saw it increase. We saw the defect numbers come down because the site teams understood why we were doing that process. They really believed in it because we were trying to get them to be better. Their KPIs, their statistics were like, oh, guys, this is going in the right way. And actually, our customers were so much happy with us as a business because it's a funny thing. We sell across the world, but trust is a massive thing for us. It's a really big deal on how much our customers trust us. And when we kind of stopped and went, why don't they think that they would have trusted us two years ago? Well, if you see something that you think might be perfect and you walk in, it is um, what's behind the walls. And we found that it unsteadied people, like it really kind of made them wobble on, well, if it looks like this, what else is going to go wrong? So by trying to work through and eliminate that, actually, we just found that they were in general happier. They trusted us more. And actually, from a whole journey perspective, all the way even through the customer service, it was easier. It was just an easier shift. So, yeah, that's our that's a real world still being worked on, still trying to achieve and strive to be better example of, yeah, all matched up. That's amazing. One of the things that you touched on there that was really interesting was you talked about the build teams and their reactions and responses to this initiative. And I've heard of stories previously whereby in other businesses, in other industries, you've got a customer experience or customer journey or customer excellence team, and they kind of almost become this isolated pod. And they're just like, yes, we work on customer experience. There's a team that does that. But what you've just described is a bit different in terms of it brings people into the fold. Is that a challenging thing to quote unquote land? Because I could easily see that going wrong from a build team point of view. If you're kind of going, listen, guys, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. That could land differently. How did you get them to buy into that? It was interesting at the start, but I think I'm a real believer in there's no need to shout for one. You don't need to be crazy, overpassionate about what you need to do. But I just went in and I was like, I think we can make both of our lives easier. You have metrics we have customers to make happy. Your metrics will make our customers happy. And we are not here to make your lives harder. That is not the point of my team coming to work with you more closely. This is to make everybody's lives more efficient and and our customers happier. And it was a slow turn at first because whilst we work together it was like you're on a motorway when we're in the fast line trying to hand them over and they're in the middle like okay well we might catch up with you but we kind of got there just by proving a point that we weren't there to make their lives hard we were there to improve their scores and their scores made our customers happier and it's totally turned 360 the way that we operate now but it, it was a challenge to 
yeah, it proves that we weren't a pain, actually, is, is probably the biggest thing. We're there to work together. Collaboration was key to get a better result for all of us. And we did get there in the end, but it was proof and trust, I think. That's been a theme throughout this conversation. It's been, you've talked a great deal about trust. And as you were describing it, I was thinking to myself, yeah, walking into a property, particularly a new property, where your expectation is that you're seeing it in the best condition it will ever be. Yeah, sure. And so from that point of view, it really resonated with me what you were saying there. And I find it interesting. So when we think about the data collation that we get from that, you referenced earlier on about still trusting your gut and going with your instinct on that. How do you, I guess, balance those two things? If you're looking at a set of data and your gut is beginning to start to get that spidey sense or it's getting that tingle, how do you interrogate that to kind of prove out how you're feeling and when you're looking at the data in that way? I think it certainly depends on how much data it's pointing towards that sense. So if we get something that repeatedly comes through and actually it's just resonating as really true on that. So is the area affecting it? Well, I walk to that site three or four times a week. Yes, I can see that's right. But then the underlining tone of maybe a good one is why people thought we were average. So we did an exercise last year where we looked at what we, we knew like promoters and detractors, fine, but why people were passive in the middle. And my sense was that we just weren't doing as much as we could. And that was when my spidey senses were a bit like, well, okay, 50% of people think we're average. Why? Like, I feel like we're not quite ticking all those boxes. And actually, when we went into the detail of it, that was the case. We were doing everything that we thought we had to do, but we were never exceeding an expectation. Or we were, but in a minority cases rather than the majority. So it was managing, okay, how do we take the baby steps? So no one's going to feel overwhelmed in the team. We're not suddenly going to ask you to do 20 things more from the spidey sense and the data who what were the people that were really happy saying that they thought that we were exceptional and how can we put that back in and we've seen that in the last year kind of turn a corner on actually making sure that more people are really satisfied with what we're giving them what they're buying what they're living in what they're investing in but that was kind of capturing that spidey sense on that tipping point that was probably the strongest kind of example that we've had that's worked out in the end. <laughs> she said, no, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fine in the end. It was great. great. But no, I think it's a really valid point that oftentimes, and I'm going to sidetrack very briefly just to illustrate my point here. Yeah, go for it. But with the rise of artificial intelligence, chat GPT, all of these new tools that are coming through, underlying all of that is this whole principle of I think it's called hallucination and the idea that you've got bias in the raw data. And if you're reading just the surface data and it doesn't feel right, actually, literally ask the question, elaborate on that, prove that for me. And that resonates for me. Yeah. When it comes to properties and in fact, cars and vehicles and those big ticket items, and in some cases, very big ticket items, personalization is one big area where data can help to improve a customer journey. 
So around the idea of personalization leading to improved customer journeys, is that something that is familiar to you? And how do you take advantage of that? So we've just rewritten all of our communications. So we worked out that actually the team was sending something crazy, like between WhatsApp, WeChat, email, phone calls. We jumped from doing something like three and a half thousand calls, I think we did in circa 2020, 2020, 2021. Last year, we finished up on 9,000 calls and or data touch was. Now, bear in mind, that's for five people. It was bonkers. Like it was off the charts on how many times we were recording a touch point looked at the data and actually found that people were asking the same questions over and over again. So we've gone back, we've re-looked at all of our customer cons, which you saw just the next couple of weeks in fairness, and kind of took from it that maybe we weren't asking the question, answering the question before it was asked. And that's a big thing for us now. Like, how can we still gives that personal service, still know that there is a person at the end of the phone, it's not a chat bot, but actually put in a real decent level of automation that's going to tick off and answer the questions at the right time in the journey that, that people have. And yeah, we've got new things, we've got embedded PDFs, we've got active hyperlinks for sending out different type of updates. And that was the whole kind of circle piece was what questions can we answer before people need them? to build up that trust, make the team's lives a bit easier and actually reinforce that, that we're going to support 100%. But yeah, looking at custom comms, answering that question first, that was probably one of the things that we really pulled from the data and improving the comms. That's amazing. I'm going to completely change track again because there's a couple of things I want to dig into about you specifically. Oh, careful. <laughs> With your kind of experience and what you've brought to the conversation, I think it's really important to get some insights and a, and a couple of other places. So yeah, cool. As someone who recently graduated from university in broad terms, first off, congratulations. That's incredible. Mm -hmm, cheers. How has that affected your approach? And I suppose, to paraphrase, your worldview of customer services? It's probably made it a bit more business-led. Like, and not in a bad way of business-led, more in, like, evolving a strategy I don't think I would have looked quite so long term before. I think I would have very much looked at what's in this six months, what's in a quarter. Whereas now we're talking about, okay, what do we need in 24? So we've done these things. What are our key themes for next year? What is the business implication from a cost perspective? Like what do we need to forecast out? Everyone's really aware that time's hard at the moment. What do we need from a staffing perspective? And actually, it's around, it was business and law. So it was more around, actually, how customer service, we don't always get the biggest budget when we're kind of expected to fix things and make it wonderful on about 10p as far as I can work out sometimes. <laughs> Thank goodness for faith in people. But it's very much how long will it take us to turn I always joke a bit that I think sometimes customer service, when you've got a problem, you know, the barge that got stuck in the sand and it kind of got wedged. It's that, like, how can we, we know we've got a problem and we need to turn it around, but how quick can we turn that barge for us to be going in the right direction? And that's probably one of the biggest things that I've taken. Our strategy for how we achieve and succeed isn't a short-term fix. It's a long-term plan and being agile in that is quite a big thing, I think. Yeah, kind of 
rolling through that. So, yeah, I think strategy. Who knew? (laughs) And again, I know that it was business and law, and I get that the angle of that is slightly different, but I think that does also apply and resonate with customer services and delivering excellent customer experiences and really delighting the customer. It's not a five-minute fix. There is no silver bullet for the vast majority of businesses. It's got to be a collective endeavor that you undertake and you commit to and you bring people into the fold on that journey. Yeah. I'm conscious of time. I have one final question for you. I get to say congratulations again. Talk to (laughs) us about the work that led to you winning a gold award for customer services two years running, I believe. Talk to us about what led to that. I mean, I don't want to kind of float my own boat, but we did it in my old work and this work. So it's for it was for recommending a business and we worked really, it goes back to that quality piece, right? So the question that, that kind of got us that award was, would you recommend us, us as a business to your friends or family? No one's going to recommend us if they walk in and it, it's like, what's going on here? And we worked on some really key areas. We worked on communications being super robust, amazing touch points, customers having absolute faith that we were always reachable. And then that quality piece in the background. So updated. Oh, oh, do you feel like you are hearing from us at the right times? You can contact us whenever you want. And actually, another of the one was there's no stupid questions. We have media influence about the interest rates and the mortgage rates that media blows it up and customers coming back. So it was really updated, really good information, really good quality product. And that led to us getting that return rate on people saying, yeah, we would, we would recommend you as a business. And that was kind of where the gold awards are. I mean, my team aren't particularly chuffed with me now because I'm like, look, you've got to go for 100%, like I want them all. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, 100%, yeah, guys, let's go. But isn't that the right place to be pushing? It's, you know, there's no feedback is bad feedback, right? There's always treating criticism however you perceive that. And it's digging down into the bones of what that criticism is. And if there's one person, they've had a very different journey compared to other people. But yeah, would I love every single one of our customers to believe in us and go, do you know what? That was the best. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, the gold awards were determination (laughs) and quality and and talking to people. I love that. I think that's fantastic. And I really like that it was from everything that we've said over the course of the last 30 or so minutes, everything that we've talked around, everything that we've unpacked, like it's just so clear that it's an organization-wide endeavor. Oh, 100%. And that's, that's so, it sounds kind of twee to say, but that's so rewarding to hear. Because when you see it done well and when you see a business that truly embraces it and what that means and really does the asking the hard questions and bringing people into the fold, even when that's difficult, the results that you tend to see speak for themselves. And it's great to talk to someone who's been, one, a a champion of that movement in a business and two, also has been so free and able to talk about it. Yeah. So again, I don't often do kind of the big praise on these, but honestly, it's been such a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so, so much. Thanks, Sean. It's, I, I was really chuffed when you asked and actually 
talking about really good customer experience sometimes until you're in the right forums to kind of meet really passionate you know other people that are really passionate about it you do feel like a lone island like you said you know it's to get it top down you've really got to prove and, and push it home so no it's really nice to hear that somebody else believes in customer services quite as much as as i do it's yeah come on more for the customers let's go <laughs> absolutely it's great and it's a the thing that gets me is that it's a it's a common topic and it's a common topic for a reason businesses out there are striving to understand how to deliver this and from our conversation it's clear that you're well on the way to delivering that and it's just yeah i can't praise enough it sounds incredible so Unfortunately, we have unfortunately run out of time. I know, I'm gutted. But I will say thank you ever so much, Laura, for spending this this time with us. Really, really enjoyed our conversation today. Your insights have been phenomenal. So thank you so, so much. Thank you, Sean. It's been an absolute pleasure. Have a fabulous weekend. And you and to all our listeners as well. Thank you so much. Take care. Talk Time is brought to you by Max Contact. To find out more about Max Contact and how our customer engagement software can help you and your teams provide smarter customer experiences, visit maxcontact.com and book your personalized demo today. Be sure to search Talk Time with Max Contact in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and leave us a positive rating to help other like-minded individuals join the conversation. Finally, before you go, never miss a future episode by clicking the subscribe button and turning on notifications. On behalf of the team here at Max Contact, thanks for listening.